But learning about the thing, you won't fail at it, will you? You just learn. If you try it, you may have some setbacks. And so I think a lot of people are hesitant to just do the thing because it's so much more painless to learn about the thing. And so get some steel, mess some steel up, go for it, make the thing. The Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Actual Outdoors. They help build beautiful brands that highlight the approachable and authentic parts of outdoor recreation. Said simply, they keep it real. Learn more at actualoutdoors.com. This is a Life in Motion audio experience, a podcast about travel, action sports, culture, and more. What's up and welcome to episode 121 of Life in Motion. I've got Brent Stubblefield with me, who is the one behind Join or Die Knives, which makes handcrafted knives in Richmond, Virginia. I'm excited to learn about his process, the community he's building, and how the outdoors may have influenced that. Uh, Brent, thanks for being on the show today. Well, thanks for having me so much. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited. You know, uh, every once in a while we get these mutual uh, connections with uh, with previous guests. Like, hey, you know, you should check, uh, you know, this person out or this organization out. So it uh, looked like it happened this time around as well. So, mm-hmm. but before, before we kind of get into, you know, what you're doing, you know, with the knives and handcrafting on that, which I think is amazing. Let's go ahead and set things up with kind of your background story, you know, where you grew up, um, you know, hobbies you had growing up, like what, what kind of inspired you to go down this path in the first place? Yes. Well, I'm from South Alabama originally, right down in Mobile by the coast and grew up there. And I ended up marrying a Virginia woman. So I ended (laughs) up moving to Virginia and it was awesome. I loved Richmond and the mountains and um, needed to be kind of near the coast too. So I have everything here in Virginia. So I love that. And yeah. uh, what brought me to knife making was I just had a lot of hobbies. You know, I was, I was a contractor. I like to work with my hands. I tried all these different things, dovetail boxes. I worked on muzzle loader, muzzle loaders or um, guitars, just all kinds of different projects. I just like to do different things. And, and I made a few knives and just realized, wow, this is a smaller project. I can, I can get this thing done on the workbench without a ton of big equipment. And uh, people really like to receive them as gifts. Um, it combines all the kind of hobbies that I would like to normally do, like you know, woodworking and metalworking, and you had the leather, any kind of artistry, engraving um, you have to go into. You can be as scientific or artistic or both as you want. And so it just really appealed to me in all those different ways. And so that's why I kind of started it as a hobby. And just like a lot of hobbyists, I started to, you know, give them to friends. People eventually wanted to buy them, did it on the side while I was a contractor for quite a while. And I realized being, um, you know, a contractor, just kind of working on people's houses and stuff that this was never really going to be a business where I could, you know, scale and grow it. Like, because some people do in that field. But you really have to um, infuse a lot of cash. I didn't really have any way to do that. I didn't want to go get a loan for that. So it's kind of looking for something else to do that I could be known for as a as more of an artisan rather than, you know, um, someone who just fixes houses. And uh, the knife thing just kind of started to happen organically. Um, and that's kind of been my story with how I determine what products to have or, or what kind of styles to use. I really allow people to, you know, give me feedback and I listen. Um, and so that was kind of what was happening there that that was working. And so for a few years, I did it on the side until eventually I had enough steam to go full time. 
That's awesome. And so did you did that come up when you moved to Richmond or did you do that? Did you did that kind of start in Alabama as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. I'll have to do a little uh, digression. So between Alabama and Richmond, I lived in Chicago for seven years. Oh, okay. I moved up there to work in an inner city mission where I was a full time volunteer. And so I just lived in uh, essentially a church that lived together that had homeless shelters and stuff. And one of my jobs there was to work on the building and kind of keep it from falling apart. And I had all these different mentors there of, um, you know, people that did worked on metal, worked on wood, worked in masonry. So I learned all these different things from them and um, just kind of met my wife when she was visiting there. And, you know, so so that was kind of that transition. And so um, I had just kind of moved to Virginia and I was just kind of doing the handyman thing because that's what I was doing before. And it wasn't until I moved away from that kind of missional setting and got into just, you know, a house with the family, had my first, you know, son. And um, I started to think, oh, I need to do something different. Another side thing about that is that one of the things that really made me inspired about uh, making knives was actually cut my uh, my kids umbilical cord with the knife that I made. Really? Yeah, I had this instant family heirloom and I thought there's something really special about these knives you know that's so uh so so side note uh my wife and i have um three children a three-year-old a two-year-old and a six-month-old um so full house here for sure yeah and i did i wanted nothing to do with uh cutting the umbilical cord i had you know i had to do my duty and and that was my responsibility so i did it on all three but like (laughs) uh and it was with you know the the surgical scissors or whatever Mm -hmm. they're called but uh, it's funny. Usually, um, all of them except for one, uh, my mother-in-law was in there, and she she was taking photos of me doing it, like my facial expressions. And they're like, <laughs> t- like it got better, like by the third child, but the first child, it was like my face was just, it was hilarious. But uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's funny. Well, I'll just have to say about that that those scissors are terrible. And yes, uh, the midwife was shocked when I just pulled the little knife out that I had made for it. And just passed it like a quick little swipe and it parted. <laughs> and she was yeah. like, just like very surprised at how easily, you know, a knife, a sharp knife cut it as opposed to those scissors. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah. I know we're going off a tangent, but yeah, those, the scissors do not work. They're very, very hard. Um, yeah, I feel well, like, yeah, they just scissors. haven't been sharpened forever. Yeah. Well, think <laughs> about it. Well, and also they're giving a, uh, they're giving them to a dude who's basically traumatized and he's yeah and so they don't want to give him anything that actually would be dangerous i don't think (laughs) that's fair that's fair that's fair um so okay so no that's really interesting the story and and i and you know this is my favorite part about kind of you know having conversations with people i don't really know but you know you mentioned kind of the the missionary aspect of being in chicago Mm -hmm. i don't are there i guess any you know i mean i i've personally never done that. So I can't speak to myself, but, uh, that's awesome that, that you did spend that time and, and helping others in that sense. And, you know, doing what you can, were there like any like life, I guess, like takeaways from that, that, you know, of, you know, I, you said you did it for, you know, a good, a good amount of time mm-hmm. that was just like really impactful, I guess. Yes. So I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Jeremy, I could tell you some stories, but <laughs> So essentially like learning about community in a real sense where you really are living together with like a bunch of different families and everybody has their own rooms and spaces and things like that. But 
you know, everybody's going down to supper at the same time and everybody's working together. Everyone's volunteers. So when I was leading crews to do work, I didn't have any way to like fire anyone. Uh, you know, I just had to figure out creative ways to inspire people to do their work when they just weren't feeling it. And they could just go to their room and hang out. And there was nothing I could really do except for maybe, you know, tell one of the, you know, the elders or pastors and say, hey, this guy's not doing his job. But that wasn't my style anyway. So I found just really interesting ways to try to find out how I could get people invested in what we were doing when they just, and we all have those days. We just sort of don't feel like we know what we're doing is important or, you know, at least important to supporting our families or ourselves, if not important in a broader sense. And we just don't have the motivation some days. And so just finding ways to, um, to motivate people when you don't have the stick or much of a carrot, it's just like, Hey, I, let's, let's talk about this and figure out a way. Um, some of the times I would have to ask a guy, well, what can you do? You know, if, if you yeah. can't do this, then, you know, can you pull nails out of two by fours for me? And, you know, a guy that was a, a highly skilled person would just go, yeah, actually, that sounds like a, I, yes, I would like to do something mindless. And so you never know. Yeah. Um, so things like that, learning how to, th that, you know, in community that there really is that weakest link that the, the most broken people in that community sometimes can tend to define you know, the speed at which things can run, but you, you are connected and there's no getting away from that. And so you find ways, one, to, to go to that brokenness to try to heal it um, so that you really get healedness, uh, you really get healing for the, the broader community through working with the people that need it. Um, and so it really brings your own personal you know, problems into perspective. And, but what, one thing I will say is that when you feel called to be in that setting, whether it's a spiritual situation or just a more civic, when you feel called, it's incredible and you can put up with anything. But when that calling kind of goes away and you're ready to move on, you should probably move on because if you stay too long, then it's just about unbearable. And so we, you know, as we had our first child, we realized that we needed to move on. And so that's why we moved back to my wife's home state and uh, she's a VCU grad. So we moved to Richmond. And then though there was a longing for community uh, for us because we had lived so in intentional and intensely in community for seven years that we wanted to create something like that. And so even though I haven't created a live in kind of community situation, I've tried to use those community values in join or die knives and what we do as far as how we have our community shop and events and uh supporting some of the other yeah no i mean that that all makes sense you know the everything from the perspective and and learning you know how to communicate within that community and inspire others and then even you know uh i, I like what you said as well about the the calling aspect of it because um you know that makes that makes complete sense to me you know you explaining that so so you so you had you know that that experience there you moved back to richmond kind of picked up the hobby i mean what uh, and, and started to gain some traction you know as far as you know people you know people were getting them as gifts and then hey can i buy this from you and then and kind of developed from there mm -hmm. so like uh, what i guess well i guess before we get into kind of that that growth like what what goes into uh, 
you know, making that? Like, what did you like? Did you just like have the materials around or is it pretty easy to get the materials like when you were just mainly doing it as a hobby basis? Or like, what does that that process look like, um, especially in the early stages? Yeah, that's sort of the technical aspect of like, how do you start making knives? I guess. Yeah. Um, well, uh, one of the things that's cool is when you really want to just get started with some basic stuff. You know, if you have kind of a home, like a really basic home shop, you can probably make it happen. Um, I was able to get some blade steel. The first stuff I used was cutting up saw blades. Um, you can use like an angle grinder, which, you know, you can buy those for $30 at Harbor Freight if you need one. And, you know, or like a metal saw on like a jigsaw or a bandsaw or something like that. And just cutting some pieces out and then kind of a little drill press. You know, I already had these things from just kind of doing my contracting, but really people can set up a shop for like a hundred bucks with the really basic stuff. And then, you know, drilling some holes for handle holes and um, getting a couple of pieces of wood. And um, I had a little handheld torch that I, that I heated things up with. I mean, the first ones I started with weren't like great. They didn't, they were, you know, their performance wasn't going to be incredible, but they were a knife, you know. Um, yeah. And then and then there's the other side where I didn't do this, but some people want to set up that home forge first where they're going to go ahead and get some charcoal or a gas forge and start to hammer the knives. And so I actually did what is called the stock removal process for years before I ever started forging. So I would just cut out a blank and go from there um, rather than, you know, hammering it to shape. Um, and then the, the blacksmithing and forging thing came in later when I started to have shapes and styles that I wanted to do that you have to forge that are different. And so I started to learn that. But I actually do recommend, we teach a forging class, whatever they recommend to people, that they need to be grinding, they need to be learning how to design knives and shape them. Um, and that's going to be not your forging process, that's going to be your stock removal process. Um, and you can always tell some the people who've you know spent the time learning to forge because they're finished and they're fit up. Um, tends to suffer because they haven't put the time into that. So I was able to just do it in my shed, in my backyard with stuff I already had. And then I might sell a knife. I might be able to put a little money into something. Um, so it was a hobby like that. And then, you know, slowly over time, I got my first like serious grinder, eventually got a kiln. I was in the shed for the first year and then it just got to where, you know, the kids were around. They wanted to come in. It was loud and dangerous and I just thought I got to get a little shop that I can go to away from that. And then I can have my family time that's separate. Um, I got a little, a little room in a friend's woodworking shop, did that for about a year. And then we, then I expanded into the building we're in now down in Valley road in Richmond, which is an enormous warehouse. And we just subleased little corners of it. And so we have a corner here now. It's a nice size shop, but it, it, it's got enough room for like the big power hammer presses, big equipment like that. And uh, we were able to expand into like multiple rooms because I have the, the community shop more on that later. But essentially, just a, when you get started, you can just kind of use the stuff that you have and you can use like recycled materials, steel and wood and stuff and go up to the hobby store for pin materials and epoxy. And, you know, it's uh, we, we special order everything now. But, you know, um, one other thing is that I started before the show Forged in Fire came out. And so knife stuff wasn't around but at, now that forge and fire has been on for nine seasons it's like there's just it's so easy there's multiple websites you can go down to metal supermarkets here in richmond and, and pick up some nice knife steel um woodcraft out in the west end here in richmond has knife blanks and and specifically like knife um like knife blade kits and all this kind of stuff so 
you know, that show has made it really easy to get into it. And of course, our shop does knife making classes and that, that wasn't, you know, anything that uh, was available to me when I started. Um, there wasn't even that much on YouTube. There was a little bit, but, you know, um, nine, ten years ago, there wasn't much on YouTube. And now it's unbelievable, you know, the kind of quality instruction you can get for free on YouTube. Yeah. And that's and that and, and, you know, to be fair, the first thing that comes to my mind when I when I thought of it was, you know, the forging aspect of it. So that's that's what I was curious. But you're not really thinking about, you know, the the step before that. And so it, it's cool that you were able to, you know, figure that out and kind of grow into that. And it sounds like, you know, as far as, you know, the expansion aspect of it um, has been really cool, too. How, and so when you do like knives and and that kind of stuff, one is like like you said, it's kind of like the ultimate kind of craftsman because, you know, you got the the wood aspect and you might have some leather aspect to it. And then, of course, the, the blade and metal as well. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff to work with there. Mm -hmm. are, are you really just kind of like coming up with like different like shapes and that kind of stuff? Or is it a lot of custom stuff or like like that, that part interests me. Like how, how do you know that that's the right, you know, the right blade or the right shape or, or when it's even done? Yeah. Well, if you make knives, you are not inventing anything. There is no knife shape that you can make that has <laughs> not been made. And in fact, the more creative you are with your knife design, the worse the knife will perform. The knife designs that are readily available are there. And there's only so many ways you can make an arc with a little bit of a straight area that's pointy, you know? Um, and so there's been so many iterations uh, of these tools over thousands of years that what I'm doing is I'm carrying on a tradition and I'm, I'm making something old, new, and I have no interest in redesigning the wheel because this works. So I'm going to try, and of course, my aesthetic is a little bit more of a traditional knife aesthetic. I don't use, I don't make folders. I don't tend to make anything very tactical. When I do, it's kind of like still kind of, you know, old school. And so I'm looking for knife designs that um, people can buy something that's handmade here in Richmond. Um, if they're not from Richmond, at least handmade here in the United States, um, something that is going to essentially be a good dependable knife in a recognizable style. And again, I, I essentially design what I think will be good. I make a lot of different designs. I do one-off knives. I do custom commission pieces and I do a lot of production knives and the production knives. I don't just decide what the production knife is going to be. I use some of the designs and patterns that I've used in the past that have ended up being popular. And what I mean is I'll have a few different designs that are like my new designs out on the table, along with my tried and true designs. And if one design tends to sell, I'll just make another one of that one. And if it sells again, I'll continue to make it. And if it keeps selling, then I'll put it in the computer and I'll have a sheet lasered out of 20 or so. And I'll make a set of them and see how they do as a production project. And that's essentially, I'm just looking for feedback. I'm not trying to force any kind of knife designs down anybody's throat. Um, I am just letting my customers decide what are the most functional and attractive knives to them. And I think that most companies work that way. But, um, you know, I try to guess on these knife designs, but actually sometimes they don't do as well as I think. And so I'll retire that one. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody will say, hey, what about this one? And I'll say, I'll make you a one-off, no problem. But, you know, I liked... I like to make production knives 
that give the big companies a run for their money as far as competing with price. So down in the $150 level. And then I have a knife in the case right now that costs $1,800. So oh, wow. I, I have everything that you could think of, extremely complex Damascus patterns forged in complex, you know, difficult, you know, uh, techniques and then production knives and everything in between. And so um, I want to have a shop where I hire people that can have a really fun, cool job making knives, learning an esoteric, you know, skill. Um, and I also want to be that high-end custom maker. And I think that so far I've been able to do both. And I've been told that I can't do both. But uh, so far, you know, we're, we're doing our best to make. Yeah. And, and it's cool that, that you that you have figured out how to do both, you know, especially from a, a business aspect of it. If you're if you're looking at that, you know, being able to do, you know, the more production style, but then also still you're able to get back to your craft by doing kind of the one offs and kind of, you know, trying different things that way. So that's mm -hmm. that's awesome. So one thing that we touched on a bunch um, and I know it's on your website and everything is, is kind of the community aspect of it. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yes. So I was, I was here in this new bigger shop and, um, you know, I met some guys at hammer ends, hammer ends are, uh, you know, uh, just times where all the blacksmiths or bladesmiths can get together and share techniques and maybe work on a project together. And, um, I met a guy named Greg Campbell, and he had been making knives about the same time as me, maybe a little less, but um, I had moved into this shop, and he was still at home, and he worked really right up the street at VCU from where the shop is now, and so he was coming by, and I said, hey, man, why don't you come by and just, you know, make knives here? You know, we got along really good. Uh, we taught each other things, um, and then we just did that for a while, and I had other people come by. Once we started doing classes, more people would come, and I just liked the idea of having people in, so... You know, I shared my shop and, you know, there's there's pros and cons to that, you know, um, but it just kind of, again, just like the rest of this stuff started organically until what we decided to do was create a space that was dedicated for the community shop to be um, open for people to come pay a, a shop rent and actually have access not just to the space, but the tools. And so we called it the Hardway Workshop and We've had dozens of different makers over the last few years. Um, we typically run four to six members at any given time. But, um, you know, the tooling for knife making on, you know, you can you can do it with some very simple things, but you're going to have to make simple knives. I mean, the, the members here come in, they have access to power hammer, uh, hydraulic presses. We have eight different um, of the two by 72 grinders, which are very important for knife making. Those things are $2,000 a piece. It's like, <laughs> it's just not easy to, you know, I mean, the power hammer is $10,000, the press, you know, you're five or 6,000. So, you know, you end up with all this equipment that's just insanely expensive. I don't even own it all. Some of our members own some of these different things and they've brought them in. So this is way more than the sum of its parts. It's way more than I could have done by myself. And it actually, there's been plenty of times, anybody that owns their own business knows that you have peaks and valleys and, and I have a very seasonal business, you know, gift season is very busy. And then, you know, like actually we're just coming out of the end of summer. Nobody wants a knife at the end of summer. I don't know why, but they're just, it's not hunting season yet. They're probably just got back from the beach vacation. You know, they're kind of done fishing. There's just, nobody wants a knife in August. So it's a slow time. And so having a way to supplement income one by getting, you know, having people come in and help us pay for the rent. Um, and then also doing the classes and bringing income in that way. And 
even um, having you know materials that we can you know sell knife makers we don't do much of that but we you know it, it is available and then you have the knife productors so just like a lot of business i've had to diversify what in order to survive diversify how to to bring in income more consistently and and that's that's been what that is and the cool thing about just because of our attitude is one of uh community you know when we bring people in for classes or this community we we say come by whenever you know um we 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 order in lunch for our classes so that we will sit together and eat together so we'll get to know each other. We don't send them off and say, okay, lunch break, go, go eat and we'll come back. No, I want to sit down. You know, I'd rather, it's worth it to me to buy the lunch so that I can, I can get to know these people. And you know, we find that both our community members and everybody coming in the class, it's like, these people would be fighting online. They do not agree <laughs> about everything, but they don't fight in real life. They have really thoughtful conversations and they bring these different points of views to the table. And um, I don't know if it's the uh, physical proximity and the, th the threat of possible violence or uh, just that <laughs> real life people are pretty cool and there's something happens on the internet and they just, they just kind of you know, get in this unfortunate, this game, this trap of, of being snarky and quipping at each other, but it doesn't happen in real life. And so I wanna get, give a little bit you know, of a space for people from all kinds of backgrounds, you can imagine it, a knife class. I've got, you know, firearms enthusiasts and, you know, Second Amendment people coming in and doing a class with VCU graduates that are as absolutely artsy and liberal as they could possibly be. And everybody gets along great and it's, it's a fun class. And so, you know, we find that like, even though this is just a byproduct of us bringing people together for class, it's just like, wow, this has been a really great way to provide a space for people to rub up against each other and see that the other side is just like them. Yeah. And that's cool. And I, I feel like, you know, you kind of touched on, on a couple good points there, you know, one, you know, you're allowing, you know, these other people to kind of, you know, pursue their hobby or, you know, their entrepreneurial spirit, you know, depending on what, what their end goal is. But, uh, you know, also when you, when you, you know, made the online comments and then the kind of the, the diverse backgrounds of the people that, you know, are actually coming there, you know, it's it's and in, in some points it's bringing uh, people with opposite views together and kind of, you know, like, hey, like you said, it's not, it's not as bad as uh, <laughs> as the Internet makes it seem. Right. So mm -hmm. it's you know, it's it's almost like, a you know, it is, you know, the knife making aspect of it. But it's 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 a it seems like it's almost a, a deeper level as well as that. Um, and of course, diversifying the income that totally makes sense as an entrepreneur myself. So, um, but, but it's cool that, that it's kind of having a, a larger impact almost in that sense. Yeah. And I mean, just, you know, one thing about that and, you know, bringing up just kind of political topics, it's like, it's so important to me to be apolitical in, you know, really online at all, like even in my personal, because people are going to know that that's me and I own join or die knives. And so, um, I, I, I find it to be a very important point of respect for others that if I'm going to be offering a service or a product that I don't confront them with anything other than what the knife is information about knives. This is a knife company. This is what we're going to do. And so, you know, we, we, we allow people to kind of come in and have these conversations, but we really try to stay neutral as possible in this. Obviously we, we make knives. I don't know. Maybe some people have different views. But um, again, we we really just try to respect people um, by staying out of that conversation and allowing people to have those views um, without, you know, 
uh, in, infringing on that. So that's kind of been another kind of, honestly, it's becoming a more and more important kind of value for me to just to respect people's rights to have those views. I not making my company, you know, um, like connected with any kind of political point of view. Um, and just to vent a little bit, I mean, people that have a couple thousand followers on Instagram think they've got a platform, you know, I'm following your cutting board company and you think that I want to know about what you think about a political issue, I <laughs> probably can go find some experts to listen to. I don't need to hear it from you, you know? So, so we just try to stay out of it because I don't know anything about that kind of stuff. So we want to, let's just talk about the knives. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that, that makes total sense. So like, so as you know, as it's kind of grown throughout the years and everything, sort of what are the, what are the next steps almost, you know, not only from, you know, maybe the business side, but also, you know, do you see other ways where you can also, uh, I guess, expand on that community, if that makes sense? Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, we just actually had our first Hardway Hammer in last Saturday, this past Saturday. And uh, we had about 40 Smiths come from all over Virginia. It was incredible. So we're going to be doing that twice a year, fall and spring, because it was just such an excellent time. But it was also difficult to arrange, expensive. And we also, you know, if you do events constantly, people are always going to say, I can, I can get to the next one. But if you do them like, you know, maybe only a couple of times a year, um, it becomes a little bit more of a, um, you know, people make it a priority. So um, doing more events where we can bring people together just for like that fun, exciting event, that's important. Um, you know, we're running, getting the, getting the community of class and teachers together is going to be important. I'd like to expand what we teach here. Um, if um, we can never fill enough of these class spots. I mean, I've got a list of emails right now of people saying, when you have more classes up, let us know. Um, we, uh, the classes gift cards are such a popular gift for the holidays to give that experience instead of a, you know, of a thing that are the vast majority of our classes are, are from January through April, May. And so we're, um, we're bringing in more teachers to do that. So we're going to expand that. I think that within the next few years, we're going to have a dedicated spot to teach classes in this building rather than my shop. And I think we're going to have a wider variety of knife making classes, you know, chef knife class, you know, forged outdoors knife class. Um, you know, um, somebody's probably going to be teaching tomahawks and we'll maybe even have other metallurgists that don't even do knives teaching things like that. I'm sure, uh, you know, an intro to blacksmithing from the central Virginia blacksmith guild, um, something like that. So, we, did, we need to expand this class thing into um, really a school, you know, um, because, you know, the New England School of Metalwork, Penland down in North Carolina, but we don't have anything right on the 95 corridor um, in this area that's going to grab from Maryland and, you know, Virginia, West Virginia, North Carolina, and bring everybody up here for that. So I, that's, that's a vision that me and a couple of the people here at, at the building have that we'd like to see. But you know, it might be a few years down the road. Um, other than that, you know, um, we just want to like expand the business so that we can make more of these production knives that people can afford. I mean, a handmade knives, if you go look across the internet at different places, they're very, very expensive. And people more and more are looking for the handmade thing. You know, they're looking for to, to look into the eye and shake the hand of the person that made their stuff. Maybe they don't want as much stuff, but better stuff. Um, but handmade knives are really expensive. So if we can put more and more out there that are that are competing with the I mean, I was in a Bass Pro Shop. I saw um, was a Benchmade, you know, full tang knife for hunting and it was three hundred dollars. 
And yeah. I don't know. I mean, some of Benchmade stuff's made overseas. Some of it's USA. I don't know if that one was or not, but it's a factory-made knife. It's not made with the same kind of love that we do. And I have a knife that's that's every bit the same as that one, you know, for, for the same or a little less. So what's going on with Benchmade is th those profits are just going sucked up into a black hole somewhere. Um, but here, you're, you're literally paying for three guys living when you buy from us. And, you know, we, uh, Benchmades are great knives too, by the way. There's, I'm not saying it's not going to be as good, but the values there of who you're buying from um, is pretty important. So if we can bring our prices down, if we can get our processes so that we can compete with Buck, Spyderco, Benchmade, Case, these different, um, especially in the types of knives that we make, um, not to mention the chef knife world, then um, we're going to be able to bring that product that's made locally or at least USA made by, you know, a small shop to people and make it more affordable for just normal people to not have to, you know, make such a huge investment to get something that's made by hand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously it kind of circles, circles back around to, the, you know, the support local deal, you know, to, to your point, you know, you're supporting a three or four mm -hmm. uh, people compared to, you know, a larger organization. Um, and being able to provide that a, a different a different value that might is kind of intangible in that sense, but it also you know is just as important. So, so um, one thing I always like to ask our guests is kind of you know one piece of advice that you could offer them, and I, I sort of want to ask two questions in this sense, but. One, I guess, you know, if, if someone is is trying to get in, so this is part one. Um, okay. If someone is trying to get into knife making and has no clue like where to start, because it might seem like intimidating or whatnot, I got to get all this stuff and this and that, um, mm -hmm. you know, I guess where would they start? And then part two of that question, and this can kind of be more of a broad, a broader um, audience, not specifically in the knife world, but you know, you've had the experience with community and then building your own community once you moved out there and still kind of expanding that. What, how, what would you tell someone to, if they wanted to figure out how to build that community themselves, you know, no matter what the industry or the hobby or the interest is, but still kind of that sole community that is, that is doing, doing good in that sense. Okay. Two parts. Okay. How to get started, how to build community in <laughs> different ways. I got it. All right. So how to get started is going to be, I guess actually I'll, I'll, I'll start from the, from the end and go back to the beginning on how to get started. Um, once, I, once I knew I wanted to do these knives, I stopped doing the other hobbies. I quit my bluegrass band and I made knives. So you may not know that you want to do that right when you're first getting started, but if you want to succeed in whatever that is, maybe it's like I want to make hiking content. Maybe I want to, you know, do the woodworking thing or um, I want to cook, you know, I want to I want to start a restaurant. Um, you just you have to make sacrifices, but usually the sacrifices come in the form of other types of interests that you want to do. Now, it's not that I don't do any other thing. I have all kinds of you know stuff I'm into, but but I did have to, especially at first, clear away the desk and work on the one thing. So that's one thing that I can say is is a key to really excelling in that i knew that i wanted to get good at making knives not just make knives i wanted to get good at it um, that took years to do but i also had to stop messing around with some of these other projects um, and of course you know in the in the future I, I i started to kind of get back into those things 
And of course, I've always been a hunter and, you know, different things. That, so I've always been doing those seasonal things. But um, the other hobbies is um, on the desk I had to get rid of. And also, you know, just um, YouTube and that kind of stuff. It really, it's great you know, on your downtime. But don't confuse that with actually doing the thing. And I think that a lot of people confuse learning about a thing with doing the thing. But learning about the thing, you won't fail at it, will you? You just learn. If you try it, you may have some setbacks. And so I think a lot of people are hesitant to just do the thing because it's so much more painless to learn about the thing. And so get some steel, mess some steel up, go for it, make the thing. Um, so <laughs> there's all that. And then also, if you have the money to buy the equipment, do not go out and buy all the equipment immediately. You will get a really big bump of accomplishment. And then when you start making knives, you'll get a, a bump of accomplishment from like putting this shop together. And then when you start making knives, you will suck really bad at it because you're new, but you'll have all this great gear. So you won't have any good excuse. Like I don't have the right gear. And so if you have the money to invest and you're pretty sure you want to do this, set goals of like, I learned this skill or I made this many knives. So now I'm going to buy this and, and, and hold yourself back from jumping in too fast so that you will have incremental goals that you can reach. Because when you get an accomplishment, that, that like good feeling that you get doesn't last very long. You got to have incremental accomplishments to continue to be excited about the process. And then moving on into community and how to build that, you know, that's going to be different for everybody. But what I can say is that you have to pour in without expecting to receive anything back and you will get burned. You're going to pour into people. They're going to take and they're going to walk away. And then some people, though, are going to come and they're going to return that, you know, exponentially to you. And so if community is your value, you got to be willing to go out there and put yourself out there, be willing to get hurt, but realize that it's worth it to persevere in that. Um, and not everybody's going to do that, but some people might. Um, I actually think of uh, keep, keep Virginia Cozy. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's going out there full well knowing that people are going to throw trash in the same spot tomorrow. <laughs> yep. But he picks it up anyway, and he brings other people. We've gone out with him and uh, with the kids. And it's like that's that same self-sacrificing, self-giving thing for community, not only the, not only the com like cleaning up our community in that sense, but really... Uh, they're investing in people, um, which is so important. And so, as you can see, you're going to have to be willing to do that. So that's kind of you know like you know like Brian's done with uh, you know keep Virginia cozy. We you know we think about that where we're pouring in uh, to community here. So just gonna have to be willing to put yourself out there for community. Yeah, no, I, I think you uh, you has answered uh, my my two part uh, question better than than I hope so. So that was awesome. <laughs> So where, where can people find you online, um, to check out your stuff? You know, if they're local in the community, um, mm -hmm. of course, you know, swing by, um, and you know, if they're interested to pick up one as well. Yeah. Um, well, we're at, uh, join or die knives.com, um, join or die knives on Instagram, join or die knives on Facebook. Um, I just deleted my Twitter again yesterday. Um, <laughs> and I'll get curious again in a few months, but um, that's not much going on there, but, uh, you know, honestly, most of the content is coming through Instagram and then we're posting to others, but, um, you know, Instagram is an easy way to put up that portfolio portfolio pieces and also do reels and stuff. 
of the process. So we got a lot of cool forging and grinding process on there. Um, and so we're pretty responsive as much as possible on Instagram messages. And then we're down at 1600 Valley Road in Richmond, um, not too far from MCV, kind of under where 64 hit, hits 95 downtown. Um, and we are open here on, you know, like kind of nine to five weekdays. And we have our classes, which you can find out more about on the website. Um, but it is best to come by by appointment if you can, just because since we're a small shop, sometimes we run out. Awesome. Well, everyone definitely um, make sure you check them out. Uh, like I said, if, if you're in the Richmond area or passing through, definitely check it out. You know, great, great story, great community aspect of it uh, and great, great craftsmanship as well. So um, I, I wish you the best of luck for the rest of this year. And then, you know, kind of the plans moving forward to kind of continue to grow and expand. Thanks for listening. And hey, if you've made it this far and like what you've heard, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and let your friends know about life in motion. Until next time.